0: Good morning again. It's great to be back. Uh, Mark and I had a fantastic time in Chicago, but we're really glad to be back here. For me, spending so much time in a city and place that I once called home for almost two decades, I carried a strange sense of dislocation as we drove through the neighborhoods, places filled with memories that were once so visceral, so lived in, now seen through the dark lens of time and distance. When I came back to today's first reading from Jeremiah, I brought a newfound appreciation of what the Israelites might have felt as they continue to live in Babylon, in exile. They've grown more comfortable with their new homes, but maybe still feel a deep longing for Jerusalem, for Judah, where their hearts belong. In case you haven't noticed for these past few months, we've been on something of a journey through the book of Jeremiah. Most of the time, we've listened to Jeremiah's kind of crazed doomsday prophet side. you know, repent, destruction is imminent, you will die. He's the voice of God saying he will pluck up and break down. It is he who speaks judgment against the people of Judah. It's familiar and sometimes maybe even a little amusing, like watching a street side preacher rant on about the coming rapture. There's a reason the Oxford Dictionary defines Jeremiah as a long, mournful complaint or lamentation, a list of woes. See, it's based on Jeremiah's example, and we've been hearing it for the past seven weeks or so. But today's reading represents a shift. The tone has abruptly changed. It's from what is the prose section of Jeremiah that's called the Book of Comfort, and it brings the promise of hope. The days are surely coming, is the familiar opening. In one sense, it's boilerplate boilerplate prophetic language, and I imagine the exiled Israelites covering their ears or maybe rolling their eyes, saying, here we go again with the damage and destruction. What's left to take away? We're already in exile. It goes on. The days are surely coming, says the Lord, when I will sow the house of Israel and the house of Judah with the seed of humans and the seed of animals. See, Jeremiah is channeling Yahweh, channeling God. And he's talking about a fresh start, a new beginning. He goes on, And just as I have watched over them to pluck up and break down, to overthrow, dis- overthrow, destroy, and bring evil, so I will watch over them to build and to plant. Says the Lord, to build and to plant. That's a positive image, diametrically opposed to God's earlier stance of watching them pluck up and break down, overthrow, destroy, or bring evil. Now, Walter Brueggemann is probably the preeminent Old Testament scholar, and he has a wonderful commentary on the book of Jeremiah, and it's, it's subtitled Exile and Homecoming. And it spoke to me from that title alone. I mean, think about it. If we reflect on the past few years of lockdown and division and anger, I think we all maybe are a little more familiar with the idea of exile. It does feel in a way that we've been through our own exile, sometimes literally as we locked ourselves in to protect ourselves. Well, starting today, I'd like to get us more comfortable with the idea that we are homecoming also that we're coming home to something different, but something familiar and comforting. Our Sunday attendance is growing. We have more and more folks coming to our Sunday classes. Wednesday nights in Brandon's class have as many as 40 people joining for a meal and the class. So in that sense, we are coming home. Here's the thing though, we're not out of the weeds yet. Many of you have told me that darkness still looms. Events right here in Conway tell a frightening story. And the Israelites aren't out of the weeds either. Jeremiah is telling them these words of comfort as they are still stuck in the middle of exile, still in distant Babylon, with no clear sign of when they can return. Israel, including Jerusalem, was something of a geopolitical football in its day. You see, its central location and relatively easy passage meant it was a prize for the superpower of its times. In this case, superpowers like Egypt or Assyria or Babylon. To put it in today's context, it's kind of like the Taiwan or Ukraine of today, overshadowed by the various superpowers competing claims to loyalty. The leaders of Jerusalem and or leaders of Israel play a dangerous and ultimately fatal game of alliances with these superpowers. Earlier, the Northern Kingdom, also known as Israel, fell to the Assyrians because of this game. Just as the southern kingdom, Judah, will fall to Babylon. This is what Jeremiah is crying out against. He's saying, stay true to God, don't be deluded by empire, by the quest for power. Now you might wonder why a tiny little kingdom like Judah thought it could stand up to such greater forces like mighty Babylon or Egypt. Some had been deluded by what is called the royal priestly theology. They took their claim as a chosen people to the extreme, that they were so chosen, that God wouldn't dare let them be destroyed. Otherwise, who'd worship him without Jerusalem, without the temple, without the Holy of Holies? I think even today it's dangerous to take God's favor for granted. And this is what Jeremiah was challenging until eventually Judah did fall. The temple was destroyed. The royal priestly theology proved itself a failure. Jeremiah had challenged this theology with its sense of invulnerability for Judah and for Jerusalem. And he also challenged the more ancient covenant theology from Moses' time. It held that failing Torah, failing the law, would result in destruction. No other way about it. In that case, God, or Yahweh, was seen as a distant judge, coldly claiming absolute fealty, and if not, death and destruction were the only outcomes. You see, the prophet Jeremiah brings out a new side to Yahweh, a new side to God that changes the whole game. God is not some distant judge, but is proximate, is nearby. God yearns for relationship with Judah, with Israel, and it's that yearning also known as that pathos that makes Jeremiah's words so important. Because they speak to light in darkness. They speak to hope. Jeremiah is playing a different game. Not one of power politics, but of true power, real power. The absolute power of God versus the illusion of power in principalities, in governments, in kingdoms. And that God yearns for Israel to return to him, to return to hope. That's God's pathos. As, as Walter Brueggemann puts it, it's this creative transformation of the available traditions of covenant and God's pathos that Jerusalem will be dismantled by the will and power of Yahweh, not the decision of Babylon. And that a new community of covenantal possibility will emerge after this dismantling as a free gift of Yahweh. As I noted earlier, when Jeremiah is speaking to the Israelites in today's reading, they are still in exile with no clear sign of it ending. And it can feel like we're stuck in darkness too. As I mentioned to several of you and put on Facebook, I I joined several other members of St. Peter's at Tuesday's school board meeting. In a bit of political theater, the efforts against transgender students were passed, to the delight of many in the audience. This didn't surprise us, didn't surprise me. It was theater, after all. Tragic, but something of a foregone conclusion. What I found truly chilling, though, was what happened after those acts of exclusion passed. Two books that had been found in the nearby Conway Junior High were on the chopping block, The Junior High right across the street here. Centers of outrage for what seemed the mere fact that they addressed issues of gender in a matter-of-fact straightforward way that made folks uncomfortable. And so doing one of the books used familiar language to any school kid, but shocking to several of the pearl-clutching school board members as it was read aloud. Now this theater, this stage act broke down when one of the administrators after following a diligent and clearly defined process, recommended the books be kept in the library. Not the answer several members of the board wanted and they attacked her, they attacked the process and they forced her to read what they deemed a particularly outrageous excerpt from one of the books. In the end, despite the expert uh, recommendation, they denied that recommendation and rejected the two offending books. They've probably already been removed from the library shelves. Suffice to say, we're making these books available to anyone who chooses, starting next week. As I studied Jeremiah this week, and God's words of comfort in the midst of darkness, it called to mind Martin Luther King's famous I Have a Dream speech on the Capitol Mall nearly 60 years ago. Both Jeremiah and MLK used the power of collective imagination to free their people from the illusions of empire well before those people are in fact free. Both MLK and Jeremiah do do this by releasing the immense power of hope. You see, hope puts fear into the powerful. Hope is, as we sit here this morning, threatening to topple the Ayatollah in Iran, threatening to overwhelm Vladimir Putin in Ukraine, A couple of years ago, it put the immense power of China into conniptions over a bunch of umbrella-bearing protesters in tiny little Hong Kong. Jeremiah is a reminder. No, Jeremiah is an insistence that we put our collective imagination to work to keep hope alive, even as the darkness of exile surrounds us in faraway Babylon. As I sat in the Conway High School auditorium, I was struck by how joyless The audience remained as their bathroom bills and book bannings were passed. I mean, this was a crowd that was overwhelmingly in support of these decisions. Sure, there was applause, but it wasn't a joyful noise. It was a mean applause. You know, that kind, that it's a vengeful applause. set there, it reeked of fear. You see, fear is the opposite of hope. I think the forces promoting inclusion here in Conway continue to have the upper hand when it comes to hope. They, or we, are collectively imagining a future that isn't of exile, but of homecoming, of coming home where all are welcome. Hope is a fragile thing. Empires of all kinds hate hope because it gives its people access to this collective imagination, this creative transformation, this dream, access to a world where Babylon's rule is already something of the past, where civil rights have already taken place, where Judah and Jerusalem are home, free. As I said a couple of weeks ago, it's likely things are going to get even darker, even more divided. And I remind us in the coming weeks and months and years to to remember Jeremiah during these coming times of exile. Not just the Jeremiah who speaks of destruction, but the Jeremiah of hope. We remember a Jeremiah of comfort, of a new covenant whose laws are burned into our hearts, defining who we are, and we are welcomed back home. see, God is far more powerful than empires or governments or school boards can ever be or imagine. It's because of this power that we cling to hope. We hope because the God of Jeremiah, Yahweh, is the same God we worship here today, We, too, can participate in God's strength, God's imagination, God's desire for our fullness, our flourishing, our hope. It's written in our hearts. The days are surely coming, says the Lord. With God and through God and in God, we know that hope is forever. Amen.